Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 120. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week, I am doing a solo cast all about the imposter complex. You may have run into this before in your life when you are up against a big dream that really sets your soul on fire. But yet, when you start to take steps towards making it a reality, you find that you are struck with fear, you feel like maybe you're a fraud or a fake, and you're not sure what to do to move forward. This week, I'm going to share some ideas about how to move through that discomfort, why you might be feeling it, and why it actually is great news if you run up against the imposter syndrome. Before we get on to the solo cast, I wanted to take this time to say thank you very much for joining me each week Jumpstart Your Joy is a show that looks at people choosing joy in their lives, even when it is the hardest choice they will ever make. If you're new to the show, I am doing a solo cast this week, but many of the other shows are an interview format where I talk to people who have chosen joy. There is a ton more information and 119 past episodes. You can find all of them at jumpstartyourjoy.com. Or if you look on iTunes, Player FM, Google Play Music, Spotify, or Stitcher, you can find Jumpstart Your Joy and look back in all of the past episodes. So a warm welcome. I am so glad that you're here. One of the things that I'm super excited to share with you guys as well is a new sponsor to the show. The amazing people at Studio of Sweden reached out to me late last year and asked if I might like to try out their headphones. And I have been using their gorgeous Regent model. It's in white and I've had it for a couple months and the sound is awesome. They are beautiful. They are wireless and these headphones just feel so good on my head. I just love them and I'm honored to share a 15% off code with you guys. It's jumpstart, all one word in capital letters. If if you give them a go, you'll want to visit them at studiosweden.com, which is S-U-D-I-O, sweden.com, to check out the models and be sure you use that jumpstart code for your next purchase with them. Some other exciting things in taking a look at the stats for this show, I want to give a huge shout out to the listeners in Niobe, Kenya, in Africa. Thank you guys for tuning in. And there's also another group of you in Germany. Welcome, welcome. It is so fun to see where you guys are all listening from. And I would love to learn more about you. If you want to email me, you can reach me at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com. Please, I'd love to hear from you guys. Also this month, February 2018, I have five episodes planned. That is going to be the plan for this year, this season, uh, to do five a month, whether or not there are five Tuesdays in the month. I'll sneak an extra one in there for you all. This month, I am talking about self-love, courage, and acceptance, 
with Ellie Basak Travado next week in honor of Valentine's Day. And then the joy junkie herself, Amy Smith, joins me. She has an awesome podcast. And you can only imagine how fun and joyful a discussion between the two of us is. After that, Tanika Mason is joining me to talk about confidence. And I have my dear friend, Christy Tending, returning. I'm having a new series for this year where I'm bringing on bringing back former guests and dear friends to chat about joy and their lives. So I can't wait to have Christy on as well. And then next month, you guys, I know, love my mastermind, three coaches we all met in coach training. That's Liz Applegate and Julie Houghton. We will be doing two episodes on confidence. There'll be a webinar to go along with it. And we are super excited to be doing that for you guys. So let's get on to the show. I am excited to be focusing on the imposter syndrome this week. It's another popular coaching term. I feel like the imposter syndrome deserves a deeper look at what it is, when it comes up, and why we should pay attention to it. And like I said, there's so much good news. If you feel it, it's telling you something important. I strongly believe that the imposter syndrome pops up when you are following your dreams and you begin to do the things that are most important to you and really close to your purpose on this planet. The more passionate you feel about something, the more likely you are to feel like an imposter when you first try it. The signs of imposter syndrome are feeling incapable of making a decision, getting caught up in the opinions of others, and being afraid that maybe you're not good enough to do something that you feel called to do. It often shows up when you're trying something new, or maybe you're doing something that feels vulnerable, which of course is different for each person. So what's going on behind the scenes here with this crazy imposter syndrome? Well, I think it has to do with the fact that women are taught growing up that You and I, we need to play smaller. We have to apologize kind of all the time. And I know a big one for me is we have to be not too braggy, right? Like it's not attractive to be a braggart. I know that this plays out in my own life in so many ways. I remember being young and just to be totally honest, being told that we don't talk about money. We don't talk about how much the family makes. We don't talk about what the house costs. We don't ask other people about this. And mostly it was in the name of not wanting to come off as, like I said, a braggart. And I don't think that this necessarily came from just my parents. Uh, It played out in a bunch of ways in day-to-day life. Uh, Like, for instance, one of my very favorite TV shows and books, which is Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) And if you haven't heard the interview with Allison Argrim, who played Nellie Olson, she's in the first season. I will link that up. But I was thinking about that when I was writing this out was that, you know, we're all shocked and horrified by Nellie Olson, which is the character she plays in Little House on the Prairie, the TV series, when in, I think it's like about the third episode is when we first meet the character of Nellie. And of course, one of the very first things that she's reading in the episodes called Country Girls, and she's reading this horrible writing exercise that she has written about our house and she's bragging in this thing about how it's the nicest home in walnut grove and they have three sets of dishes and of course nelly is the antagonist of this show introduced early in this kind of kind of braggy mean girls way and she is one of the original mean girls if you look at kind of the history of of those you know of that archetype 
what I see is that Nellie is this great over-the-top example of the type of girl that we really, we're not supposed to be, right? We can all see these not-so-attractive things that she does. She's just like too much in every way. And then, of course, in contrast, well, at least I love Laura Ingalls because she's polite, she's funny, she's smart, and she's good most of the time except for when she's trying to... um kind of go toe-to-toe with Nellie over something, which is always hilarious as well. But I think this thing plays out in our own lives, this this thing where we see an example of someone being too much, and then it sends this message. We fear that in being ourselves, that maybe we'll be a little too much like Nellie and a lot less like Laura, that maybe we'll seem braggy or out of touch. Maybe we'd seem mean um, or too silly or too loud or too whatever, And it's all wrapped up in that fear of being too much. And of course, the message with Nellie Olson is that that is not how we should be. So instead of standing out and getting noticed, the message from much of this is, whether it be from our family or friends, society, TV, is that we should play small, we should fit in, we should play it safe. Otherwise, maybe we'll get labeled in a negative way for being snobby, weird, loud, unusual, cocky, full of yourself, or different. Now, maybe it seems like we've gotten a little off track and you might be asking, how does this play into the imposter syndrome? Well, I think that this archetype of this person that's too much, of this person that we don't like because she is too much, it kind of lays the groundwork for feeling like an imposter because you've been conditioned to avoid many of the things that make you unique or special. From a, from a young age, you're told to be careful not to be too much so that when you finally do tap into that thing that you love to do as an adult, well, what happens? Let's look at three things that I could think of. First, it feels uncomfortable to start to listen to your dreams. You may hear some sort of past voice in your head. You know, maybe that's your mom or your teacher, or your dad, whoever that is. But who are you to do that thing, whatever it is? It makes you weird or different, right? Like we see people stepping out into a new role. I remember one time when I was singing in church and the compliment given was that I was very loud, not that I was good. And so sometimes when I step out into a new role, I can hear that, that kind of backhanded compliment of, boy, you sure are loud, which makes me wonder, oh, well, am I actually good at this? Or are people praising me or maybe making fun of me? And so then instead of leaning into that thing that we love, we don't do it. The first resistance you feel in following your heart to play out your purpose, maybe that kind of vague discomfort of being worried that you'll stand out and that you're fearful of what happens if you get noticed for being different in some way. So maybe that's the first thing that comes up as you start to step towards us dreams and step towards your dreams. And that is the imposter syndrome, kind of in the early way of it. Next, once you've gone a little bit further with thinking about this thing that you love to do or that you feel is your purpose, you might be able to vocalize or explain this dream that you want to follow, but you may already be so used to pushing the dream aside because it might make you different that then taking the first step towards this thing, well, it might feel really foreign and odd. So that's another, you know, kind of a, a next level of this imposter syndrome that Going further on the path and kind of just even admitting to yourself that you want to do this might be altogether frightening. And you might get stuck in going beyond just saying, I wish I could do this. 
And maybe you don't take a first step for a really long time because you're like, I don't know. It seems weird. I don't know. I did it once. I sang too loud. (laughs) Another thing that I could think is that this, I'm going to use air quotes, good girl thing teaches us that we should deny our own wants, dreams, sense of purpose, or joy if it's not in line with what your family or friends or teachers maybe thought was right for you as a kid. So when we get told, you know, this is what a good girl does and this is what a good girl looks like and, you know, she gets straight A's, she reads a lot, she has sweet friends, whatever that is, whatever that messaging was as you were growing up, it may have kind of inched you towards this ideal that other people have for you. And in doing that, you may have lost the ability to easily get in touch with what you want. And sometimes it kind of triggers this default mode, which is you look to other people for confirmation and validation that things, whatever the things are, are the things that are right for you. Somewhere in that good girl upbringing, you may have stopped trusting yourself and then you tend to look for validation elsewhere that the dream you have is right for you. So if as an adult, you're realizing, I love to use this example because it's my own, but that you love mm, podcasting (laughs) and you realize that, well, nobody around me podcasts, you may find yourself in some unusual and possibly uncomfortable territory in following your dreams. Now, before we look at this any further with the imposter syndrome, I wanted to give you guys an update on my Studio of Sweden Regent headphone. Last month, I told you guys about how I'd been looking for a wireless headphone to use while I edit the show and about how Studio reached out and asked if I'd like to partner with them and try out a pair of their headphones. And this was right before Christmas. I was about to put it on my wish list. So they sent me a pair of the Regent headphones. And my first reaction that I told you guys about was that these things are beautifully designed and they are great sounding. I've used them now for another month. And what I've come to appreciate is, and I wouldn't have guessed that this would have been so important, but they are so soft and luxurious. And I find that I'm just finding more reasons to listen to things. They they pair up great. I have an iPhone 8 and I just, I love them. Um, and they sound a million times better than anything I've used before, in, including my dear earbuds. Um, so if you're looking for a really pretty upgrade to whatever headphones you're using right now, I just can't recommend the Studio of Sweden line highly enough. So as a bonus for being a listener, you guys all get 15% off any headphone you want by using the code JUMPSTART at studiosweden.com. And I will also leave a special link for you guys in the show notes. And we'll get right back to our episode. So I think what's happening here is that this whole good girl thing that goes on, that we're taught to be good girls as we are growing up, I feel like this is really laying the groundwork for the imposter syndrome to come up big when you get a little bit older. The imposter syndrome comes up for people when they are having a hard time trusting that they are truly capable of making accomplishments on their own without outside validation. And then even when a goal is met or recognized by others, sometimes you worry incessantly that you might be found out to be a fraud or a fake. And it usually is a direct result of not fully understanding how to deal with the discomfort of doing something new or something vulnerable or something that's been on your heart for a really long time is so important to you 
and you're excited about doing it, but then you kind of have these feelings of what if I am a fake or a fraud? What do I know? How, who am I to do this thing? And I find that this thing comes out really big time for people pleasers who put a lot of weight in the approval of others. And I think that goes hand in hand with being seen as a good girl. You also want to make sure everyone's happy all the time. So the validity of your accomplishments gets tangled up in the desire to have praise or confirmation. And it becomes hard for you if you're a people pleaser to trust your own gut and to trust that you have the insight and ability to do something all on your own. And I saw this especially um, back to podcasting, but I saw it happen really big for a client who was who is struggling with launching a podcast because I do consulting on that as well. And the funny thing to me was that she was agonizing over the tech pieces. And sure, there's tech involved. I mean, and that's the kind of thing that I love to help people with. But she was really questioning decisions about things like where to record her show, who to interview, to the point that where, where it's important to research these things and become comfortable with them, she was getting so wrapped up in it that she wasn't really able to make any sort of forward momentum on them. She just kept revisiting this, these questions. And she would continually ask for outside validation about the choices she was trying to make. And I think what was at the heart of it was that she really wanted someone to tell her that she was right. And I think for that, that needing to be right is really intimately tied up into that imposter syndrome. Instead of trusting her instincts, which were actually serving her really, really well, she was giving into the fear and the heart of the issue was that she didn't trust her own decisions and felt like she didn't know enough to create a show. And I thought this was super interesting because she was very passionate about the idea for her show and she knew and knows so much about the audience that she wants to reach. But the imposter syndrome was really only coming up around the things that were new to her, the tech pieces and the logistics of podcasting. But at the same moment, which was so amazing to me, was her message and her desire to connect remained intact and like on point. And what I really saw and what plays out so often with the imposter syndrome is the the only way to get through the imposter syndrome was to kind of prove to herself that she wasn't an imposter and that and to do that, she had to dive in and do the things that she feared. And that's often what exactly happens when you run up against the imposter complex is you're afraid, but what you've got to do is is muster the courage and, and kind of go right through into the fear. So with that, how do you overcome? I kind of tip my hat at that. But I think one of the things that's really important when you feel this kind of imposter syndrome, and you can probably see yourself in this example of this person, if, you're, if you can be mindful, you can observe yourself, that you know you're feeling like an imposter. If your inner critic is screaming, at you, you're a fraud, you're a fraud, I encourage my coaching client to notice this fear and notice the emotions that are coming up and get curious about what is at the heart of it. You could ask yourself, or if you have a moment and you want to engage in a writing exercise where you ask your inner critic or the fear, why is it that you think I'm an imposter? Like, what about this thing makes me a fraud or a fake? You could write out that answer. And, and I know Jess Lively talks about writing as if she's having a conversation with her intuition. I think you could also write as if you're having a conversation with your inner critic or the fear that you're experiencing. You know, ask it. Ask it, hey, fear, why is it that you think I'm a fraud? Wait for the answer and write it down. 
And if it's possible in that moment, you can dive in even further and ask, hey, what's behind this fear? What are you trying to either hide or cover up or what's brought you up right here and right now? Um, And I think the answers to those two questions could be extremely interesting because generally there is a deep-seated fear or insecurity or something that isn't sitting well with you if the imposter syndrome is coming up. And so once you've noticed that and you've kind of called the emotion into the light and gotten curious about what's behind it, it often helps minimize it itself. The next thing that I really love to do when faced with imposter syndrome or that kind of fear is to ask, basically, is it true? So if you're saying, oh my gosh, I'm such a fraud. I can't believe, who am I to do this? I think asking yourself, is it true? Am I a fraud? Am I a fake? Am I an imposter? Is it true that you are not good enough to do this thing? That you don't have enough experience? If you're kind of stuck in that that realm of, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough, like maybe digging in behind that and asking yourself or asking the fear if you're engaged in this writing exercise of what does enough mean? Because I think it's really hard for you to answer or for fear to answer that question when it's placed in that kind of a context is what does enough mean? Well, the fear is real and feeling vulnerable is a normal part of trying something new. It's very important and good to establish for yourself that the outcome you fear as part of the imposter syndrome is not real or most often even true. It's just a result of the fear talking. So if you can kind of establish for yourself that this is not a truth, it's just fear, then it's easier to walk into it and then be observant of what happens. In the end, doing the thing that feels vulnerable and uncomfortable and recognizing that most people also feel uncomfortable when they try new things or do something that's really important to them and close to their heart If you can continue to do those things, you begin to create a pattern of trusting yourself and overcoming the imposter syndrome. I really love what Tanya Geisler has to say about the imposter syndrome or complex as she calls it. And one of the things that she brings up around it is that, here's a quote from her, your tenacity is your currency. Basically, if you continue to prove to yourself that you can get through this thing and that you can continue to build on that courage and the momentum that you create, then you will start to see yourself feeling very much less like a fraud or a fake or an imposter. And at the end of it, that dedication to getting through the imposter syndrome is really the key to your success. Plenty of people will stop the minute that they feel discomfort and they will not go any further. And you can make that choice to continue going. You can let the discomfort stop you or you can push through it. And I think that's another really important thing to notice is that many people will just stop the minute they feel the that discomfort. The good news <laughs> is you will feel less like an imposter as you go further. And once you've gotten past that plateau, here's the other news though. You are going to run into something else down the road that will make you wonder if you're cut out for that next task. And I say that not to overwhelm you, but it's meant to reassure you that as you start facing down those things that are fearful for you now, and as you live through the feeling of being an imposter, a fake, or a fraud now, you're training yourself to do it again the next time. So how do you deal with it? Well, and and the other thing that I really do want to point out here, if I haven't made it super clear, is The good news about the imposter complex is I think that what it is telling you is that you are very much on the right track. 
you are very much doing something that is so dear to your heart and so important to you that that is why those feelings come up. You're getting close. Resistance then kicks in and, you know, it's kind of like ego saying, I don't know, this is scary. And so if you're there, it means you're going in the right direction. And I think the really important thing at that point is to come up with a few coping mechanisms so you can manage how you're feeling about it. So let's go through a few of those. The first one is one, check with how you're talking to yourself. And this came to me as I was (laughs) talking to my hairdresser and I was so excited about what she'd done. I was like, look, look at what you've done. And she just laughed and she was like, you know, that sentence said a different way could mean an entirely different thing. And I was like, what do you mean, Hallie? And she's like, well, she's like, you know, it could be like, look, look at what you've done, like you just said, or look at what you've done, like you're scolding a dog. And so, I mean, it just struck me in that moment that like, how can you turn those moments into a celebration? I mean, because you could choose to hear it one way or another, right? You could choose to see something as a win. You just got through something that felt really uncomfortable, or you could choose to berate yourself, How do you celebrate your wins as you're going through this, especially if it already feels uncomfortable? Can you look back at your own resume or the list of things that you have accomplished? um, And just can you start to look for the proof that that you've created this reality for yourself in a great way? So I think the other thing that comes up with the imposter syndrome is we start to doubt that we actually have the credentials for this thing. So if we can... Watch how we're talking to ourselves. Make sure it's positive. But then also, if the negative talk starts to weigh in, give ourselves the proof that maybe we need to see. List it out for ourselves. I did X, Y, and Z. I was in this in high school and I sang loudly in church and whatever it is. This is the proof that you were cut out to do this thing that you are trying to do. Number two, oh, Dory from Nemo. Just keep swimming. So this one's so simple, and I only wrote a couple sentences about it, but just because it's new doesn't mean you're not meant to do it, and just because it feels uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not your dream or that it's not worth pursuing, and and I think some of the time it's just, it really is the tenacity, the, your ability to keep going and keep doing this thing, you're going to prove to yourself that you can and that you're going to build on that. But sometimes you just have to keep going, even when it seems a little bit scary. And that's where courage comes in. So just keep swimming. The third thing that I think you can do when you start to feel the imposter syndrome come up is how can you see this thing that you're trying to accomplish as play or as an experiment? What if you looked at this with beginner's eyes? Instead of feeling like you had to know everything right now, what if you could look at this thing as a learning experience and one that was an invitation to play? Children don't seem to get caught up in the imposter syndrome the way that adults do. And so this leads me to believe that in some way we learn or we are taught that we can't quite trust our own selves and that there is someone else out there that knows more than we do. And so in all of that, then we are somehow unqualified to do this thing. So in some cases, this is true. Teachers in school, they know more about the topics than the students they are teaching in something like math or reading. But in some cases, it's not totally true that someone needs to know more than you do 
to teach something, right? So if I take my son, for example, he's been my greatest teacher in joy, in curiosity, in patience, and acceptance. And nobody taught him these things. He just knows them. He doesn't ask anyone for permission. And he doesn't wait for someone else to tell him he's ready to do this. It's just who he is. And and so how that plays into play is I think sometimes there's just an ease with which children do things. And so if you can just see it as something that is natural and or something that you can just do on your own without feeling like you have to be given permission, or if you can just see it all as an experiment, I think that opens yourself up to being easeful with it. The fourth thing that came up for me is comes from the assumption that when someone is feeling the imposter syndrome, they also believe that there is an expert in this field and to do whatever it is that they want to do, that they somehow have to also be an expert. So number four is, what is an expert anyway? You don't have to be an expert to enjoy or teach something or for it to be meaningful. And so the other thing that I want us to consider is that somewhere in the imposter syndrome is some sort of story, a capital S story, that you need to be an expert or that there is some high level of proficiency required for something to be either enjoyable or worthwhile. Or that there is some sort of level of proficiency where someone actually is bestowed a title of expert. And so to to all of this, you know, there's really three things wrapped in here is one, what makes someone an expert? I don't know that we can define that and it's be a great thing to ask your ego or your inner critic as they come up and say, you're not an expert, you know, asking, well, who is? What would it it make me an expert at this? And that's where you could get out that list as well and just say, well, look, here's my credentials. I think I might be an expert. (laughs) The other thing is really considering that you don't have to be an expert to enjoy or teach something or for it to be meaningful. And this is where the tie-in for joy and the imposter syndrome is for me, is if you're questioning if you know enough, for example, what happens when you counter that voice with the question of, do I need to be an expert to do this? Can I enjoy this thing if I'm not the best in the world at it? Can this activity be meaningful without being an expert? And I think the last one that really, (laughs) the last question along the same topic of, expertise is, and this one really gets me sometimes, am I interested in doing this thing only because of some sort of praise or accolades that might come my way from excelling at it? And that one's really hard because I think as perfectionists, we often really do look for the praise that comes from something. And so maybe the other question that comes out of that is, can you just allow yourself to enjoy this instead of it being something that has to come with praise or merit? Another one might be, what does it look like to be perfect? Is real perfection even obtainable if this is coming up for you? And along these lines of do you have to be an expert for something to be meaningful or enjoyable, I want to end (laughs) solo cast with kind of a strange reflection. And it is, if you don't if you're having trouble kind of getting your head around this idea that you might be able to do something without it being perfect or without you being an expert or without it being or that it couldn't be meaningful unless it was perfect and you are an expert i would highly encourage you to go check out a kids bumper bowling league now stay with me here <laughs> my son has been bowling 
in a, a bumpers league, you know, so they cover up the gutters. You can't get the bowling ball into the gutters. They'll bounce out. They literally bump out. And he's been playing this since he was four years old. So at seven, though, they just recently started playing without bumpers. He's graduated up into the next league, which is kind of kind of sad. Here's what I've learned from him and watching his two team members and their families for the last three years. And I really think it ties in beautifully with the imposter syndrome. So here's my top 10. Number one, celebrate and applaud everything. Every pin that goes down, every ball that makes it to the end of the lane, all of it. Number two, every game is a new beginning. Number three, you might win, you might fail, but you won't know until you try. Number four, there's joy in playing and stickers make everything more fun. Number five, friends and community around the game make it worth showing up every Saturday morning. Number six, it's okay to cry in public. Your friends understand and they have cried about that same thing in public too. Number seven, everyone looks more official in matching t-shirts. Number eight, you'll get nervous the first time you compete at anything, even if it's the thing you love the most in the world. Number nine, your mom will cheer you on and loves you no matter what. And number 10, There are no experts and very little ego in the Bumpers League. Only joyful, eager beginners enjoying a sport with friends. I think that everyone can learn something from this list of 10 things about the Bumper Leagues. And in that, I mean, what would happen if each of us approached our dream with this kind of a mindset? If you embrace the joy of the journey and let go of the outcome. In my experience, the imposter syndrome slowly begins to melt away when you're no longer tied to being an expert or worried about being seen as too much. Instead, if you can act as a little child, stepping up to play bowling with the bumpers on, and if you, like them, can step into your own greatness, into your own genius, into your own presence of the moment and joy of the moment, into your own flow and you're able to approach the task at hand, whatever that dream may be, you'll be able to approach it with ease, with comfort, and with confidence. So I hope this episode has been helpful. If you're faced with the imposter syndrome, I would love to hear what you think about it. You can reach me, jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com, or you can find more at the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 120. If you want to grab links, to Tanya Geisler and some of the other things, along with getting a 15% off code for the wonderful studio of Sweden headphones. You can find all of that at the web at the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 120 120. Um, from there, you can also find the links in the top navigation of the website to subscribe to Jumpstart Your Joy. It comes out every Tuesday morning on iTunes, Player FM, Spotify, and other web pod sites. Um, you can hit the subscribe tab up at the top and you will just pick if you have an iPhone or an Android and it walks you through very easy way to subscribe. And while you are there, be sure to sign up for my free Joy Plus You e-course, which walks you through many ways to find more joy in your day-to-day life. Next week on the podcast, I am so excited to be speaking with Ellie Basic Travado. 
And we are talking all about courage, self-care, and self-love in honor of Valentine's Day. She is an entrepreneur, a coach, and a courage and self-care expert. And we will be talking about choosing love over fear and how to follow your dreams. I hope that you will come back to catch that discussion next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.